0: It's the Ruby on Rails podcast, I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach, interviewed today with Hampton Catlin, author of the Hamill Templating Language, submitted by Sam Aaron, director of the Newcastle branch of the Jeffrey Grossenbach fan club, did a good job on this one, over an hour or so, if you're on a long flight across Pacific, this will keep you occupied for at least one fourteenth of your journey. Also, I recently announced Peep Code Press, a boutique-independent publisher. If you want to work for a publisher who will make your books look fabulous, use multimedia where appropriate, has a smooth workflow, generous royalty for authors, give me an email at peepcode at topfunky.com or see me at railsconf.
1: Here we are with uh, Hampton and Kathleen for the Ruby on Rails podcast. Okay, hello, Hampton. How are you doing?
0: Uh, I'm doing great today, actually. So you, uh, I,
1: all the way from I've Canada? Settled
0: down. Yeah, I'm, I'm, do- I'm here in Canada, and I've got my uh, glass of rum and coke right now. Ah, oh, nice. It's afternoon, so that's... <laughs> yeah, it's uh, sort of
1: a grim Newcastle day here today.
0: I mean, it was it's a grim Ontario day here.
1: But <laughs> well, yesterday we had lovely sunshine, and the day before we had snow. So I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Cool. It's
0: it's still winter here. That's what I can say. Ah,
1: it's not good. We need the summer. Okay, so what's Hamel?
0: Hamel is my venting of all the frustrations I was having with uh, conventional templating languages.
1: <laughs> Basically. <laughs> well, so, um, what kind of event is this? Sort of a, a loud vent or a sort of quiet?
0: Yeah, kind of. I don't know. Just <laughs> uh, I was getting really frustrated with the. I don't know. With like, I, I think probably where like my third rails project beginning to end, I was like I kept just doing the same things and every time I made a partial, I just felt like they were really big and I was like opening and closing tab you know uh, tags like the little bracket thing on my keyboards were you know about to fall off and uh, <laughs> but I mean I don't know, I found that uh you know we were, I was working with designers very closely and uh, sure you know I found that you know they were having difficulty with the HTML especially when we were. Putting in extra functionality, um, I don't know. Like the more complicated sites, Scott, I found that you know we really were starting to have difficulty. Where you know, if we if we would try to make something more dry or or more beautiful, it would generally make it more confusing for them because we'd have to go put it in, in too much pure, pure Ruby. And, right. Okay. Uh, so you've been quite, quite a lot of code for...
1: in your your views.
0: Well, I mean, there's things like when you're doing AJAX, like you can't really help it. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, you can put in the helpers, but then they don't know how to look there. And uh, I don't know. I sort of one day I uh, I got frustrated, and I opened I <laughs> opened up a notepad, just like
1: uh, a Windows notepad.
0: No, G-Edit <laughs> on uh, Linux, and uh, I uh, I don't know. I just started. I printed out the document that I had, the HTML page I was looking at that I was working on that day that led me just I don't know. It felt so ugly and awkward. So I put it in there, and I just started changing it. I said, "What?" I wanted to boil it down. I was like, "No, what? What is the least amount of?" Like, how can I take this and start removing the cruft? Like, how can I make it a little more beautiful than what it is right now? So I just started hitting the delete key, and, you know, it I was already indented because I indented my code anyway. I just kept hitting delete, and so I got rid of all the closing tags, and then I ended up <laughs> being like, okay, well, you know, I started seeing a pattern here. I was like, okay, well, I mean, I started seeing the DOM come out of it once you start removing all the, like, syntactical things. Like the was structure,
1: start- really. It was a shine exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah, and then I noticed, you know, classes were just hanging Most things were divs. And uh, they had classes attached to them, and I was like, well, you know, w- you know, what if I could remove these attributes of the, off the end, and what if I just, what if I made it look more like CSS, because I knew that our designers would probably like that idea. Oh, yeah, so cool. I just sort of, I had fun, I just sort of started, literally it was an experiment, and uh, I guess my own <laughs> youthful frustration with thinking, is this really the best we have, <laughs> like... <laughs> You know, it's fine. I mean, I you know, doing PHP and ASP and all these things before, you know, it, the way we do templates is just what we've done. And, you know, it's functional. It's it's certainly fast. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I just was like, yeah, the thing that was really driving me nuts was sort of the nerdy part of my brain that's like, thinking to myself, "What is? what are these templates? Where do they fall in the greater scheme of, of syntax, like when you do these escape sequences, and then they have special meaning in the middle of an HTML document, basically, <laughs> you sort of have this HTML document, and then I just, and then I'm doing loops inside of it, but, you know, what is, I'm trying to explain this, like, what's behind it, what What does this mean if I'm actually trying to look at it as a computer scientist, or as an actual programmer, uh, it, could I remove these, these little open and close tags and put quotes there, or like, you know, is everything that's in the HTML part that looks like most of it, is that just a big string? And then sure. is everything important? In be- I don't know. It's really so you awkward. You sort of went through,
1: like, a, quite a complicated distillation process, essentially. Oh, because, yeah. basically Squeezing I was thinking, as much of the crap out, you know, and keeping... Yeah, I was like,
0: th- this doesn't feel very pure in any way to me. Uh, yeah. That's sort of what I, I find about traditional template languages. They're sort of a... They were built to originally process text. Um, you know, before we had the web, that's what ERB. I mean, that's what ERB was built for. That obviously wasn't before the web, sure, but a string you know, too. the a lot of the Perl scripting stuff that used a lot of the same syntax too was. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it, it was just built for you know, I want to query a, a server and I want to get a response. You know, and that's that's what the sort of the original idea was. I don't think it was so much like, oh, we have X HTML now. Let's. <laughs> I don't think any. I didn't find that anybody had come to the problem saying, you know, we live in a world that's a little bit different now, and how can we uh, come up with an actual templating language that isn't pure programming code, but is a representation of the data behind it. Absolutely. So it's not really just a
1: string, it's like the representation of the DOM. Exactly, that's
0: exactly how how I focus on it. And, you know, I mean, there had been things like uh, Mark could be out there, and uh, you know, a lot of people still enjoy using that. I I just, I tend to find that um, some things are better at one job than another. So for me, I, I find that code is really great for explaining logic. Like, it's fantastic. I, I mean, I love programming, and programming languages are awesome at, you know, if I want to loop over something or do some math or build an object or do all sorts of things. But to me, I, I don't personally find them to be the most natural representation of structure, of data, um, okay. which is... a uh, Actually, a particular uh, thing that drives me insane is I, I keep hearing Hamill referred to as Python-esque, <laughs> right. and it
1: drives me insane. <laughs> well, it because has go, a similarity, doesn't it, with the, uh, the space indentation thing? That's it.
0: I mean, <laughs> and I've never even done Python. I wasn't even <laughs> thinking any – like, Python entering into it is – I mean, I don't know. It's like saying, you know uh, – JavaScript is just like C because they use semicolons on the end or something. I mean, well, like, actually, they're, they're fairly similar, I think about it. But I don't know, just because, you know, they use uh, alphanumeric keyboards or something, like, <laughs> the you know, functional languages are just like imperative languages because they both have compilers. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. There's very little besides the fact that some structure is, is using spacing uh, and, and indentation. I mean, to me, that was just simply I want to get rid of cruft. And uh that was the reason for it. And everything was indented anyway. And that was sort of my one of my original obsessions was I hated how my viewing source looked on these projects I'd written. Like I'd worked on these projects and you know, I'd literally pour months of my life into them and then you know, and all the code behind it, I you know, I would strive for beauty and everything I did and even the templates looked nice from my angle. But when I actually looked at the output like the the sum total output of everything i 'd done is this lanky, ugly, terrible source code, <laughs> and I, you know so I started having little ways like to I would wrap my content for well, it used to be what well it 's now yield in your layouts, but I used to wrap that in something called tabify, and so i'd have it tab automatically because i I just hated that you know, automatically my templates would be ruined just from the start.
1: Yeah, so like uh, out of the box, uh, Rails produces the, the HTMLs all completely unindented and all sort of over the place, isn't it? So exactly. Is, you, you, were, you felt a, a problem with this. I, I, totally <laughs> well, I just I
0: just I would kept trying to fix it because I just always felt, well, like, oh, you know, if I could do a little bit of extra work and make this better. Sure. And then I sort of realized, I was like, well, why doesn't it do it itself? And I started investigating how to get RHTML to do that properly. Um, and I found out it was possible. I did have a little hack for that. But I kind of wanted, wanted this idea of structure and indentation. to sort of, you know, when I was sitting down to sort of fantasize. Like, that's what I was doing. I was <laughs> fantasizing about a syntax. I said, this would be great if I could say this. And it would just magically happen for me. Um, so, yeah, I, that's how, that's how Hamel was invented. Sure. Uh, so, with, so a, with a sp- Spartan edit screen of white.
1: <laughs> so you took, like, Python-esque <laughs> indentation um, CSS style descriptions and removing. I like to go-
0: call it, I, hold on, hold on. <laughs> YAML, it's, it's YAML-esque. Because okay, okay. it's structured, just like YAML does. So
1: you, you, you boiled it down and, and you used a lot of similarity with CSS, but then now you've, I've seen you've started to do the same approach with CSS, more, making it more like Haml.
0: Yeah, that's a so, Sass. Yeah. So what's well, this? I don't know. I, you know, oddly enough, I, the only thing it really shares with Haml is, uh, a love for CSS, but that makes sense <laughs> for a, a, CSS language. Um, but really, I don't know, the, a lot of the things we, we kind of do even create a... Well, I sort of mix together Haml and CSS. Like, I kind of tend towards CSS, though, because... Uh, actually, I see Sass as something probably... I don't know, that may actually be more usable than... For a general audience of of people than Hamel is, because... Uh, I think designers in general uh, have been finding a lot of frustration with CSS and myself personally too. Every time I use it, I just think to myself, I'd be like, well, like really nesting was a thing. That was The, the original idea was simply to do a pre parser on CSS that all that it would do is you could nest CSS inside of like an open tag in CSS and you could put a new one in there and it would magically concatenate the name. Like it would magically build it out for you and, and just make it repetitive. Um, 'Cause I kinda realized like nobody we're we're not about to you know, CSS two or three or whatever's next, I guess three or something. It's not gonna be out forever and we gotta wait till you know browsers implement and all these things. So I thought, what can I do with current CSS to make it more like something I'd want to work with?
1: Sure. And, so uh, uh so you've you've done the same kind of distillation process. you removed all the braces, you've you've got rid of all the <laughs> Yeah,
0: I guess that is like me and braces don't get along. <laughs> um well in some instances, I mean that's that's a very general like the, the the way i like to approach a problem is just i want to i want to think for this problem how much does it help me like sure. if i was writing a, an actual programming language i would have i would definitely i don't i don't actually think i would go the python route i don't think i would i don't think i would do indentation based uh, code because i think code should be able to be flattened. i think it should be free to move about on the page and i think that's part of its beauty and that's even part of the beauty of xhtml i won't even i won't even deny that um you know, that it's a better thing that the that the standard underneath, that the base of everything is very clear on opening and closing. I just wanted something easier for me to work with. And same thing with SAS. So, you know, CSS does has sort of limitations built into it. There's no constants. There's no math. You can't, you know, adjust things by adding on a certain amount. You can't change colors. You can't say, the, you know, I can't say take the background from behind this new element and make it lighter. Like, you can't say that. You can't modify um, sort of existing variables in 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 the DOM for styling. But Sass uh, allows
1: you to do that, does it?
0: Absolutely. Uh, the constants are built in. Well, variables really, um, and also you can do math with them. So um, the example I put on the the site—it's the main example—is one I really like because you can do. You say you just really say I want the page to be eight hundred wide, and you say I want the sidebar to be two hundred, and then when you actually get down to styling, let's say, your your content div, sort of the part that is in the sidebar, whatever you want to call it. Everybody has a different name. Whatever you call that, you would say you would take the width of the page and subtract it from the width of the sidebar. So that if I want to go change the whole width of the page, everything will magically resize for me. Um, like in the CSS, every time I regenerate the CSS, it will do that for me. Um, and actually, another constraint behind sass that isn't existing in Hamel is I wanted it to be it is not actually dynamic. It's a pre-compiling language It, it, it can compile into CSS and it generally happens once uh, when you when you install it's bundled with Haml right now. Um, I, that's what I really want to have implemented. It. It's kind of simple to implement, so I want to definitely want to have that multiple languages. Um, so but now every when you're in production mode, when you first launch the server it generates it takes the SAS file, compiles it into CSS and drops it into your folder. Um, in your ah, okay. public style sheet. So it's statically served. That was a big thing because I don't want to slow down my servers by having, you know, all of a sudden... Oh, and it gets really complicated because you're like, then you have to worry about people want to pass in, like, you know, theming colors and stuff like that. And, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, that, that stuff has its place. But I, I really wanted to keep it simple. I want to keep this an idea that we can have SAS and it goes directly into CSS and it only needs to happen once on a production server. Obviously in development every time you reload the page it generates a new one just so that we can um we can make sure that you know yeah, so it's working development it can,
1: process you can keep going yes
0: so uh that w- that was one big restriction but uh you know there's constants you obviously nest things um it, it I, I call it scoping really because what i'm doing is i'm i can i can be a much more see what it really does is it, uh Hamill started spoiling us were at least at unspace we started sort of using these uh like, we, we'd use classes a lot more to be much more descriptive in our DOMs about, in our documents we're creating, about what it is we are. Like, every message on the page would have class message along with message underscore and its ID. We'd sort of the, sim, like, haml has built into it something a lot like simply uh, simply helpful's div div four. So it does something, like, where it'll automatically assign a class and an ID. Um, so, in a sense, we're doing that. every Everywhere on the page, is starting to be, so I'm, I'm, I'm calling this wrapper uh, a message. Well, which message? Because I have messages on three pages, right? It starts to become more important about when I'm actually semantically naming things. Um, it starts to become more and more important that uh, I'm saying, but I want you know, on this page, I want a message to do this. Or the general message should have this behavior. Like there's sort of, you, you could start actually approaching your styling and your, your XHTML documents in a whole different way because you start thinking about, this sort of what are the semantics of it? What does it mean to be a message? What does it mean to be a title class of a div with a class title in the inside of a message that would be different than a title inside of a i don 't know an article or something like there these, so the structure starts
1: to sort of come quite clear so you're sort exactly it, yeah.
0: it's using classes as ways to describe the location of things by um you know c s s has a limited way to do this it just requires you keep repeating yourself every time you want to refer you can 't nest you have to say like you have to keep repeating it out. And I've met a couple of CSS designers that um, would just k- keep writing it out over and over again. they uh, actually, uh, I know some of you actually indents their CSS and does it nested, but it's not really nested. He just keeps repeating everything from the parent <laughs> by hand. And it becomes, you have to use find and replace a lot if you want to rename something. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, out of seeing that is sort of where, um, oh, and yeah, and doing things like lightning colors, like that's very useful, like, um, you know, you could say I want. I know that my sidebar, no matter what the background color is, I might change it. I want the sidebar to be, you know, ten points lighter than the rest of it, and that's really easy to do. You just type in the color plus ten, you know, and that's it. It just works, and it compiles out into an actual color. You know, it's not. There's nothing fancy going on. Oh, that's
1: nice.
0: Yeah, no, I'm excited about that one because I'm really. Uh, I'm trying right now. I'm trying to build a. What's well, built? I'm waiting to release it. A, a, a sort of laboratory where you can go in, and, and designers can start ty- they'll get a little bit of sample SAS. And they can just start playing with it. They can start typing in their own uh, values and seeing what will come out. And they can, you know, hopefully even people in other technologies, I hope designers might be able to even find use, of it, use in it if you're doing .NET. You can go to the site, you can type it in, um, and then you can generate CSS. Cool. So, so in a nutshell,
1: yeah. so why should people look at Hamel and SAS? What's the sort of elevator pitch for it?
0: Hamil, uh is not for everybody at all. But it is, I believe, for people who are really uh, anal about their code. They want things to be really well structured. They love they love creating web documents, not just creating websites. Like people who really sort of uh, see their sites as something more than just some HTML spread across uh, you know some pages with some random data interspersed. In if you if you if you have any. Any inkling towards that, I mean, I would definitely look into Um It's not – some people don't – well, you know, the thing is the only people I've heard who don't like it are people who aren't actually willing to even try typing even a single line of it. Um, even the – there's only one person I know who was initially skeptical, tried it, and liked it. Um, but,
1: I don't know. I, you know, whatever. I'm
0: sure – I'm sure that people have different ways of working. That's not it. I just, I've just i yet to actually meet somebody who's like, yeah, I used it for a week, and then I didn't. <laughs> I um, ditched it. <laughs> I've yet to meet that. Uh, in general, people tend to be, well, I mean, I don't know. I get at least an email or two a day from oh, people nice. just saying, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I think this is something that's been a long time coming, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I hope other people have better ideas. Great. That's the thing, though. Like, it's not, I actually feel like I've invented the best thing. I just, I hope this sort of breaks open the mold where you can go, maybe we'll rethink about these problems, you know. I think there's ways that we can generate, we can sort of think about coding in a whole new way, and the way we're working on the web, and the way we feel about it. And if we can do that and break out of the mold of what we've been doing for the past decade, I think that'll really, I think there's a lot of ideas yet to be discovered. Um, I think there's a lot of creativity that's just waiting to be released. And that's what I'm really excited to see. What, you know, how does a .NET developer when they, uh, see Hamel, um, wh- what's their reaction? What is What's the best solution for their tool set? Is there something that they could do that would be like this, but different for them? Um, sure. Actually. Yeah, that's, I'm going to be at e in a week, which, well, I don't know, probably be passed by the time this thing hits the uh, airwaves. <laughs> of the internet. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that's why I'm really excited about that because there's gonna be PHP and .NET and Java guys here, and I ah, can't great. wait to tell them about ha- Hamel and just see. Actually, you know, my somebody, uh, one of my coworkers went to Microsoft the other week, and uh, they were talking about. They were like, "Oh, you guys did Hamel," which was really kind of creepy.
1: So they knew you. Apparently, <laughs> famous <laughs> in Microsoft. I,
0: I, I don't even. I don't know. I I don't even know what to make of that, because cause he was like he's like you sure you mean like. I don't know. It was like, are you saying the right word? Is this guy not understanding? Like, um, so who knows? Maybe the next version of .NET will have something like it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, so, yeah. I saw uh, Eric Meyer speak last week at QCon, and uh, he introduced a load of uh, cool new features for C# and VB. Most of them are already available in well, pretty much all are available in Ruby already. So it's quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so they are. I'm sure they are looking at the community as a whole and trying to find out what's cool and trying to incorporate them with their technology. That
0: well, that's actually why my friend was there. Right. Or yeah, they just uh, were interested in finding out about Rails and uh, how to integrate it with different other technologies. How to integrate, uh, you know, um, yeah. No, I mean that's the thing is, you know, I don't know. I think a lot of people would have the gut reaction. They go, you know, this is a bad thing that .NET is is, ste- is sort of getting inspiration from a, a post-Rails world, and uh, for me that that's not. I, I don't. I don't think that at all. I, I think it. I, I'm not a supporter of Microsoft, but I think it's fantastic that uh, your average Microsoft programmer might have a slightly better life because of something that we we did. You know. Yeah. Exactly. I think sure, that, in the way. <laughs> yeah. If, if we're going to be running Lit the path. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well. Exactly. It, it, we've sort of maybe maybe made their day just a little bit better because there's just something that that was obtuse that has been made a little more clear.
1: So you you introduced Hamill originally the. London for the RailsConf Europe and uh, I remember reading a quote about it from DHH and he said um, I can't help but have respect for Canadian although actually you're not quite Canadian are you American (laughs) well it's almost right who manages to swear more than I did during my vendoritis rant and drink beer at the same time (laughs) a perfect example of the diversity in the Rails community so it's (laughs) (laughs) so exactly so you're you're diverse I mean what what does that mean to you do you think? (laughs) Um, I'm, I,
0: I drink, I swear, and I, I have sex with men, <laughs> diversity. Fine. Uh, well, I like, I like to think that I am, uh, as a white male, uh, bringing diversity to the Rails community.
1: Right, that's good, <laughs> it's good.
0: <laughs> you know, I think, uh, white males are really a minority, and uh, as long as we cuss more and, uh, get funky haircuts. Oh. <laughs> It's fun. No, uh...
1: So how is your hair these days? Last time I saw you, you had a sort of a... It, it's long and curly right Long now. and curly. Because yeah,
0: okay. I know the Rails community, there is one thing that they want to know. There is one question on the lips and minds of every <laughs> Rails programmer out there. What is Hampton's hair look like Absolutely.
1: today? Absolutely. Yeah, today. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Getting emails, you're like, when are you going to do an interview with Hampton? You should totally find out what his hair's like. <laughs> yeah, it's You should it's, have uh, like a site,
1: you know, like every day you have a... Every start, day, just taking. A new shot.
0: Uh hey, it's an idea.
1: So do you think that there um there is much uh there are many gay Ra- Rails developers? Is it a thing which is unspoken <laughs> about or is uh that something you, that you, that you're
0: I there are there are more than I think people know. Uh. But yeah. Uh <clears throat> yeah. Some of them I've dated, some of them I haven't. But <laughs> Uh yeah no um you know the thing is Rails community is very oh, I've never heard anything but I mean I don't you know that, that's why sorry the reason I make the white male joke is because it's like you know it's a, it's a boys club but I I get along in boys clubs oh not like that but <laughs> no, I, I, I you're digging I, a hole huh? no no I get I get I I sort of get along with that and uh, I you know. I don't know, I, I haven't ever gotten any crap about it, or any, any That's weirdness good. at all. And actually, I've been, more than anything, I've been incredibly impressed with, just in general, the community. Like,
1: absolutely. You know, I think that,
0: I think it's more of a general thing to say anyway, it's just that, I, I just, the Rails community really has, well, are some terrible people. But mostly, it has just people who tend to not be satisfied with the answers that they're given.
1: Well, some um, crazy ass people, absolutely, who just don't, yeah, don't willing to say, they aren't willing to accept someone else's answer, you know? they want to go, exactly.
0: to that just, people tend to be much more open-minded, uh, about everything, like, you know, I, I don't tend to, find, you know, the thing is, you would think that, you know, I, I call us the rebellion, like, you would think that us as the rebellion, we would, you know, hate the empire, but I, I find that's not true, most of us have come from working, in technologies, which are sort of more settled, and are, uh, perhaps more traditionally, minded than, uh, Ruby and Rails are, um, so, but I tend to find that we we tend like people tend to understand that they they're maybe dissatisfied, but they're always looking for something better. So it's not this like us against them, or you know, isn't this terrible? We should we should just remove it all. And um, mm-hmm. oh, actually, that's a whole nother rant. Because I just don't want it. <laughs> there's one exception to that that drives me nuts. Which yeah, is? drives me nuts? It is the uh, Rails Mac obsession.
1: Ah, uh, okay. <laughs>
0: drives me nuts. Drives me nuts
1: is that totally. sort of the similarity between you talk about hamel and the search for beauty and a lot of people see a lot of beauty in the mac operating system is it there
0: is a lot of beauty of similarity? in the mac operating system there actually is there's a lot of beauty it's i, it, I you know i'm not, not even to say anything that like i <laughs> i do have things i could say <laughs> but not even in a pick with with any platform i just uh, i tend to find it gets a little gangy like uh, people get made fun of for using either windows or linux and uh, to me, that's just, that's not yeah, very not open. Good at all. No. I, I just, I tend to feel that if somebody wants to develop on Windows or Linux or Mac or Solaris or whatever makes them happy is great. I mean, tell them about your platform, but there's sort of this, uh, I heard a quote one time, somebody said, well, any serious Rails developer uses OS X. Yeah, and right. uh, I mean, I know for a fact that, <laughs> that why Zed Shaw and myself all use Linux. Absolutely. So, yes. you know, I mean come on, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a craft thing to say. And uh, I mean, I'm not saying everybody would agree with that, but there is sort of this culture of like uh, use this or you're not actually going with the, the, uh, the rails thing. And uh, you know, it drives the, I, I think actually my biggest criticism is uh, to me, the true rails way would be the MIT licensed open source uh, mindset that sharing is better than not. And uh, unfortunately at this point, uh, Apple is, has no plans to actually open source their software. No,
1: it's DRM and, City. Uh,
0: exactly, yeah, and, and they, they tend to embrace I saw, DRM. Um, well, the well, Rails... Jobs did say something that he didn't like DRM, but. Yes, true.
1: Yeah. Oh, but I saw, I saw the, uh, I heard about it in the Rails conference, people walking around, uh, well, one guy was walking around with certificates of non conformism you know, for people who weren't using Macs. Oh really? <laughs> it's like, that's whole, awesome. Yeah, there's a whole page about people with certificates showing they're like using Windows or Linux. So <laughs> yeah, no, I
0: like because <laughs> the, the, the thing is, I, I just think it's sort of these. Whenever we say that we found the only better way, that's that's really where you start getting into trouble. Like, I, I mean, Rails is fantastic. I mean, I it's hard to find a bigger Rails nut than me these days. But uh, also, there's limitations and there's differences, and I, I totally think there are problems in the web that might be solved better on another platform. Uh, I have yet to face them. And, you know, somebody... And and also somebody will come up with something better later. You know, I sure. hope. If this is the best <laughs> we're going to get, then something's messed up. And if, if Max is so... You know, like, it's this idea that we've reached perfection now or, or we're still... We're barreling towards it and we're on the right path and everybody else isn't. And that, you know, I just... I, that just gives me the willies because I I tend to prefer the idea that you know is a community is a nerd community as a, as a human community like we are all we all have different paths that we're working on and and whatever makes us happy uh, makes us
1: happy absolutely
0: the, um, from operating systems to you know where where you put your uh, sexual genitalia um, <laughs> it doesn't really matter no just. Yeah,
1: anyhow. Just get along and be happy. You know, that's one of the things that the, the Rails community to me seems to be one of the, the friendliest communities I've ever met, so hopefully we can get on all our differences between Linux and OS X. So anyway, yeah, yeah, so <laughs> well, tell us about OnSpace.
0: OnSpace is the company I, I work for here in Toronto. It's the reason I'm uh, an American who's stuck up in the cold. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great little place. It was started by uh, uh, Pete Ford and Ryan McMinn, uh, along with Anthony Watts, who's the design side. And uh, Ryan's sort of the business guy, and Pete uh, started doing the coding, and uh, they brought me in about six months after they were founded. And then uh, Jeff Hardy came on board, and uh, now we have a new guy, Mike Ferrier, who we'll, we'll make sure people find out about later. <laughs> we're we're going to properly pimp him. Um, no, we're just a small little company. We do consulting only. We do hourly consulting. You are a
1: Rails only uh, company. We're Rails only,
0: yeah. Uh, we have a sister company that actually does Access that I'm not really involved in, but uh, Ryan, our business guy, runs both companies. So it always puts him in a bit of a spot. Um, <laughs> cool. Actually, so no, we'll say- I, we've actually had really good luck. Uh, I can't believe I'm about to say this because it goes against 90% of the stuff I believe. We've actually had some really good experience with using Access as a tool with a Rails application. Believe oh, really? it yeah, it's an, it's an administrative application. Like, well, you know when you have to write, you're writing for a client, and they're like, well, I want to be able to come in and see how many users were created today. You know, they want to see that. They want a little report. They want, well, can we do a graph of that or something like that? <laughs> and we're like, oh, my goodness, you want to do a graph on the web? Like, I mean, we can do it, but, you know, it's going to take us some time, like, and we do hourly, and we're not cheap. So, uh, we're like, I don't know. It's, it's always this weird thing when you have to tell a client, well, the web's not really great at that, like running reports or saying, you know, what's the most common first name of all my users? Or all these stupid things that, well, I think they're stupid. Marketing people love them. But <laughs> all these sort of things that people want to do with their data. Um, we've actually found that it's quite, you know, with MySQL, we just open it, you know, we just make sure the ODBC port's open. Access, you know, and a little, it doesn't take much, but it, it'll mate with that. And then we give the client the little access program, and he can click, and we have it make sure it's protected. He, get, he can sort, he can look through. Uh, you know, some of them we allow them to change. You know, if somebody wants to change an email address, the client can then very quickly go into Access and change it. You know, I mean, Access has a... There's a lot of negative things to say about it in the past, but... Um, well, if and, it seems to work,
1: that's great. No, but for that sort of... It's very
0: good at taking us a, Having a, a user who's more of an information worker than a developer. Somebody who just works in a company and, may, you know, can learn very easily how to sort of sort through data and how to run reports on it and how to... Um, work with that data, and that's, you know, that's what it's good at, and that's what its original sort of intent was, Um, you know, besides keep, you know, obviously people use it for data entry and stuff like that, but we're sort of more using it for the reporting side, uh, which can be very, you know, our clients love it, I mean, and it saves us a lot of time. We don't have to go in and write some boring scaffold back end for them to to log in and and do less than we can do with it. Um, So, anyhow, yeah, on space. uh... So what's the uh, business model like? So we do everything on an hourly basis. We don't have any set budgets. We don't sign contracts except for the contract that says any work we do will get paid for. Uh, We will do our best to stay inside the budget that we've outlined, but it's only we call them estimates, not not budgets. Um, And we always try to uh, we stay in very close contact with the customer. We tend to grow the applications. We tend to be very very opinionated uh, about the software, like very. yeah, and but you know, clients actually tend to like it, because we tend to tell them no a lot. Right. Um, trying to keep... You know, clients a lot of times will have an idea, especially clients with money. They tend to have ideas, and they tend to go, oh, what about this? And you just have to say, no, we think that's a bad idea. <laughs> and you'd be so surprised. I think most developers have this problem, where we're afraid to say no, because we're afraid, well, what if they're not happy? You know, oh, well, they think I'm not a good programmer if I say that's too hard. Um, and that's how I think most contract-based web work is just... Runs massively over budget. Well, not over budget because there's a set budget, but somebody somebody on some side of the equation is losing, always. Somebody got a deal or somebody got screwed, whether it's a client or you. That's when you do a set price. Uh, nobody ever really knows what they're agreeing to in the beginning. You can spend forever doing specs, and you'll never even figure out if it's going to be any good or not. Um, so we tend to rapidly prototype. Uh, the the budget is generally driven by the client. That's the biggest thing. Clients, but I find, do the, you know, we tell them, you know uh, I had a client today we like uh it was a stupid little feature, but it was one we didn't have any He said well you know I, i'm out of i'm almost out of we knew he was almost out of money He said i want to do a forgot uh remember me on our on the login and uh, also a an email for the forget password or something like that and a and a utility for changing and confirming your, reconfirm your email address and i said, you know uh, my first question was, have you gotten a lot of support requests for that?" Right. Like, have people been? Is this a? Has this been a maintenance? Like, we can do, do it. Do people in the want market? it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, is it? Is it like we've been having a problem? And uh, he said, "No, I just thought we should have it." <laughs> and uh, and I was like, it, "We can do it. It'll, it's going to probably take about uh, half a day." And he did a little calculation in his brain on what that cost him, and he said, "Never mind." Um, so it's sort of this. It actually, but the thing is, that's actually better for the product. I mean, it's a waste of my day if I end up building a. Uh, you know, forgot password link that nobody uses. And maybe we get one a month right now. Even with a lot of users, we get a, one a month that's, you know, what value is that to him? What value is that to the site, to the quality True. of the site? I mean, some sites, you know, need that very quickly. We, you know, if you have users who come and then go away for a long time, they tend to forget passwords and stuff like that. Or especially as sites get older, they tend to have more and more users who want to come back. They, these are the sort of things we grow onto it. But there's no reason to spend a whole half day, you know, not working on something else and working on that and then coming back to it and saying, oh, you know, well, I wasted half a day as a developer and then... You know, if we were on contract, and maybe he'd say, "Well, most sites have a forgot password." I assumed you would put that in, and we said, "No, that's not on our budget." So then I'd have to spend half my day for money we never put into the original budget. So I'm just losing. You know, I'm just not getting paid because this was never something that I had put into the original budget Absolutely. in my own brain. Was it? So um,
1: Dave Thomas said in his uh, speech at RailsConf in London, he said one of the things he said was to, to try your best to move the risk. You know, from yourself to the client, you know, because it's essentially well, them making all the decisions, you know,
0: and and they're making the they're they're running the business. Absolutely, I mean, like it's it's their money to make or lose. You know, it's not like I think uh, I think we forget that. Like we, I tend to, I tend to become friends with my clients. I tend to I really do root for the sites. I really do care about them, and you know, even though still I know. If they, part of being non-equity, because we don't do equity with our clients unless, unless they want to give us a gift, but we won't trade work for equity um, because we think it's a weird line to cross. But I still, I still feel you know, like I care about the site, and I, I want it to succeed.
1: So, so tell us about conferences.
0: <laughs> oh I can tell you about conferences. Tell
1: us about conferences, Hampton.
0: Okay, so I'll tell you about conferences. I did my I did the RailsConf Europe. Went over very well, had a great time, I sort of put a a good show, uh as I as I like to do. And uh so uh I I just was like, Well, heck, I'll just go to like you know, I started I was like, I'll do the Ubuntu conference and you know I knew e tech would be a huge stretch, but I was like, E tech, you know, regular RailsConf and I was and then I got I just over the days was like uh, propo- from O'Reilly Media. Proposal accepted. Proposal accepted. Proposal accepted. Um, so that was three. And then uh, somebody jokingly said, hey, the MySQL conference doesn't have enough... Uh, not, they don't have a big Rails track. And uh, so I sent V. Uh, McMillan at, at O'Reilly. I was like, hey, do you guys need somebody to talk about Rails at, uh, at the MySQL conference? And uh, she's like, sure. <laughs> <So you're laughs> Why don't you go? want to talk about
1: migrations?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the... Yeah, that's so. Yeah, let me see. I'm doing uh, next week, which probably won't be on time. I'm gonna be at E-Tech doing. Uh, it's gonna be my last Hamel talk, I think, right. at least for now. Um,
1: semantic rebellion in template.
0: Yeah, land. semantic <laughs> rebellion in template land. That's what I'm really hoping to crack into, sort of the other technology. So I'm doing that uh, next week, what, late March. Um, and then after that is my sequel, where I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing a thing about migrations. Yeah. So the idea was, I thought. It's sort of the same idea I was talking about when I said I really want the things we're doing, the ideas we're having, the, the the freedoms that Rails has given us and Ruby to think out of the box. You know, what are these ideas we've come up with and how can they be applied to other technologies that are perhaps more traditional? And uh, one of the first things I thought of that had to do with databases was versioning databases. This is sure. something that you just, they, they don't do. You know, these DBAs are out there and they're pulling their hair out working with a Perl programmer and going, oh, you changed the database? Well, we're going to production. Did you write me a conversion? Like, what's the C- SQL for this? How am I going to do this? Oh, no. You know, or they they put up a site and it breaks. And, um, you know, and that's Rails very quickly had, uh, you know, migrations added to it and uh, rather early in life. And uh, that was a fantastic addition. I mean, that's really changed the way that uh, we handle our databases. Yeah, and I figure that. Right. You know, they're not going to – people in other technologies aren't going to use Ruby on Rails migrations. But it's that idea. It's what's behind it that's important. It's this, you know, we have this idea as a community. We need to share this. Like, you know, maybe – I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the MySQL people came – like, I I would love it if they did. This would be my dream. That they came out just being inspired by Rails. They came out with their own – way to version SQL databases, just a little utility or something where you can save a file that, or, you know, a series of files that have instructions on, on converting data, um, you know, or just a way to version SQL conversion files, or, like, uh, files for migrations, or, you know, whatever it is, uh, or, you know, choose your language. Um, but, you know, something like that would be really, really powerful. Like, that, I think that would, I think there's an idea that could really change other sector, sectors of our, uh, like,
1: you know, Sure. I mean, I'm sure. I hear right, there's so. like a number of uh, actual Java shops which are just using Ruby for migrations. Yeah. For database. I, I really haven't heard that. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I, just, I, just I, take did. just take the Ruby and the migrations bit and just use that in their projects. You know, and it works fine.
0: Yeah. Well, that's. I'm hoping to, you know, maybe they won't have to do that because that that's kind of. I mean, I'm glad they're using Ruby, but <laughs> you should probably be sticking in their own uh, framework at least when you're working on something.
1: Cool. And so, tell us about uh, RailsConf. You're doing a talk on uh, um, Restful um, Abstractions. Yeah. Well, it's funny.
0: They actually, I, I, had put in. Uh, I actually kind of put in two talks. I put in one talk with my. Uh, I put in one talk as myself, and that was. I was going to try to do another Hamel talk because I figured Hamel hasn't has, actually. It hasn't been at the main RailsConf yet, and uh, the international one, uh, and uh, so I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to give that another try. Uh, unfortunately, they turned it down, but they did take uh, Jeff Party, uh, one of my friends uh, and coworkers. We we put in something. It was sort of the talk, another talk I wanted to give. But we sort of put in his name too. He didn't even know we were actually putting in his name, <coughs> <laughs> and we put me on as a co-speaker. And uh, yeah, that one ended up getting accepted, and it's for. Um, a new REST abstraction that we've invented in-house to use on our projects at UnSpace. Yeah, first thing that happened was we started. We we went to RoseConf Europe and we saw DHH's keynote, and that was the first time I I had been anti. There's you know the internet keeps around opinions you had in the past uh, <laughs> way too well. Um, I'll probably be embarrassed by this podcast in a couple of years because like gosh I was totally missing that. But uh, I was. Uh, I didn't like REST initially, and I saw his talk, and I really, I really sort of got it. I was like, "Wow!" Like now, I see that an, A- like especially when he had uh, an active resource or whatever. I, I, I really got. It. I was like, APIs aren't just sort of obscure. You know, to me, they'd always been this sort of nirvana ideal. Like they were just like, "Well, wouldn't this be cute if we could integrate with other applications?" And people were talking about it. The marketing douches were kind of talking about it, and I was sort of like, "I, I don't know." It just it never really hit me until I saw DHH open up build a quick little uh, resource sort of reader thing and just started, you know, interacting with the database even though he wasn't directly connecting to the database to the web service. And I was like, he did finds and all You know, like it was...
1: Absolutely, like it was a local amazing. thing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, that
0: just totally, that really drove it home for me. I'm like, this is what we need to do. We go back uh, home and we started doing a couple of projects. We're using the uh, resource scaffolding, um, which I think is how most of us got started using it. So we started using that, and we started finding, like, we'd want to nest some resources, and there's almost no security built into that scaffolding at all. We f- it, it's we found it really slow to handwrite our own. I, I like to be a very, very, very fast programmer. I pride myself on my ability to add features very, very, very quickly. So, you know, for me to want to add comments to something, and it would take, I'd have to go, okay, well, let me go copy and paste or my index action, and then, or let me go, you know look it up, or let me try to remember and retype the same thing again. But, you know, build in whatever security I needed to it. And I I just sort of started seeing these patterns happening. And so Jeff actually took, he was sort of the initial spark on this, he took the application, he took it, sorry, he made it a little, something in the lib folder, so you would include a a REST controller. And I sort of liked it, I was was like, sweet, now I don't have to keep rewriting this stuff. But obviously, like, there was no way to say, to turn off different things, there was no way to customize it. And uh, so it's, I started thinking about it. I started thinking, well, you know, what are we really doing? I started looking at the patterns that I was doing. I was, the parts that I was repeating in every single one of the rest calls, like the generally was always the name of the controller. Uh, So like, uh, let's say messages controller. And then I would know that the message class model is what I wanted because that's like we, if, as long as you name your controller after, sorry, as long as your controller is named after the model, You can, without even any special thing, make a very good guess, at least, at what the model is. And, you know, with a little metaprogramming magic, we can load up that class and ask it to do a find all. And then every time I want to take whatever that collection is, uh, a little more metaprogramming, I'd like to name it at messages, and I'd like to make that available to my HTML template. And uh, then I'd like to also call to XML on it, perhaps, uh, and uh, also make that instantly available as an XML feed. Or maybe I want to tell it to turn on RSS, which would magically change my response block. Anyhow, so I started sort of, I started thinking in that zone. And I started thinking about what are the, what am I changing? What is the part that changes? Where would I? Where is most useful if I had like callbacks, perhaps built into something? I sort of thought, you know, maybe there's an after create or an after index or a response for index method I could sort of override. I, I don't know. I was sort of thinking in these sort of... And I went through a couple of very experimental prototype versions of the syntax. And uh, actually, one of the prototypes we're actually using in all of our current projects right now. Um, sort of how Hamil started. We started using it internally first for actual okay, projects. So it's actually and, In the
1: real, real world.
0: Yeah, we're... I mean, heck, it's projectbreakout.com is using it. That's um, mm-hmm. actually full rest resources built out of... Um, it's called let it rest, sorry, is the, what it has ended up coming out of it. And the syntax we have come up with now and the way to implement it is it's – I have to say I, I was at first skeptical because I just didn't know nobody's been able so far to take controllers and do anything with them, really. I mean, I've sure. I, yet to see anything that's been like, oh, wow, you just improved controllers, um, they've sort of been that zone we don't touch also along with action view right I mean active record is this fantastic little library that, that's in Rails. but action controller I mean it's got some nice stuff in it it's pretty simple I just define the actions I want and they just kind of happen um, you know I sort of hand load up most stuff or I hand code what URLs I want and I make those work with routes and then you know action view I wasn't really thrilled with our HTMLs yeah, I can do this. I would keep doing. Yeah, same thing every time. And so, anyhow, uh, it's worked out really well. What it what it's ended up doing is the amount of time it takes to implement now a controller, for something basic or complex, is much shorter. I, <laughs> my uh, my thing is, I can implement a, a comment controller in about three to four minutes, um, oh, and, <laughs> and have comments working. And one of the, you know what's one of the other things really interesting that it's led me to is if I sort of By constricting, in a way, my controller... I mean, there's a lot of hooks in there to do custom things, right? I made sure there was lots of hooks, lots of overrides, lots of ways to make sure your variables are scoped so I can, like, when there's a nested chain, I'm preloading everything in my URL, my REST resource nested URL, Anyhow, I'm preloading it all, and I'm doing all this magic. But it sort of constrains you, too. In a way, like... I don't – every time I have to write an uh, after create or after show index or call or something like that or after create fails, um, any of these callbacks and I have to implement them, I always feel a little, a little dirty because I'm like this sh- – like my model should be able to make some of these decisions itself. Like if I tell a model to create itself, whatever I pass in as params through the, the web service, through the controller – by the time I get to create command at, the, at this model, like I shouldn't really be needing to do stuff around it. Like a very well built model is a model that truly itself is intelligent about how it needs to behave. So as an example of this, uh, we're doing an online application system uh, for a, a Canadian government thing, and one of the one of the sort of design uh, ideas we had was that. This is a these applications. There's a lot of them, and they change often. So we really uh, wanted it to be easy to go in and at will modify the views, which would actually when you like when you view an application page, the moment you hit save is when all these key value pairs are saved, which are what are on the page. the The realization was that we don't actually have to put if somebody wants to put in a fake field or remove one, they're making themselves. Uh, well, they're going to either get themselves in trouble or make themselves ineligible. Because in the end process, when all this gets printed out and a jury looks at it to make the... It's a grant system, anyhow. You when they actually have to make the decision on it, that like, disqualifies them. Just like a normal application, if you have a physical paper application, I cannot fill out a field or write in something on the side at will, right? I mean, what I'm trying to say is we, we sort of got, came up with this idea that we should have sort of dynamic uh, field names, basically. And I ended up being able to do something with my parameters... Um, by using an a- attribute reader as uh, attribute writer um, called update attributes. And I was able to do using the, uh, by using the uh, Rails sort of parameters way, I was able to have it so that I didn't have to change the, for the entire, for running the entire application, the controller is five lines long. That's amazing. That's for everything. <laughs> because the deal is the model is concerned. The model takes in the parameters. And it so think control of that and makes, it. Right, right, exactly. Yes, who did it? that? Was a uh, James?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was the fat, fat, uh, fat models, skinny controller thing. So that's that's exactly. And the thing is, let it rest. Totally, almost it encourages you to do that because I could have said, "Well, I want to pre-process a little," and if I say, "No, no, no, no," my model needs to be able to make the, these proper decisions, like, and especially like at auto, uh, it will do auto associations for you. Let it rest, will because uh, especially if you have a. You can tell it to to force an association. So, like, if you create a new message, I say force association with, and then I put colon user, and that'll make sure it goes in. Uh, it assumes a, a method called current user, which is a pattern we use. Uh, I think I blogged about it a while ago. Um, actually, I saw James using it on on the uh, RailsWay blog too. Um, but current user, you sort of use that. It, it current underscore anything means it's probably pulling it out of session instead of out of the params or out of some other, uh, value. Like it's something that'll exist across the site. So anyhow, so you can tell it every time somebody creates a message, whatever, it'll automatically take current user and assign it to the, the user property of that model. Um, so it sort of gives you this nice little way of, um, magically like I did, that's all I'd write. I wrote one line and then for every edit update, create, it makes intelligent decisions that are good defaults. Um, So So you're just uh, specifying
1: where your design sort of differs from the default?
0: Yes, and towards convention, too. I mean, that's, you know, at Unspace, we've done eight Rails projects now? Fairly large ones, like pretty dang large. And... uh, You know, not eBay or anything, or NASA or Google or something, but you know, uh, large enough. Um, So we've been doing. We we have to do projects very quickly, and this isn't counting personal projects, which is probably eight of those two that we've all just launched for fun, um, little web experiments. So you take all that together, and we start. You know, I I think we're in a unique position as a company because there's not a lot of people who've done a lot of Rails applications. You know, and this is just talking since we all started at Unspace. Um, you know, before that we were all doing it too. So just it's it's interesting because uh, it puts us in a unique position to try out and experiment with sort of these solutions and make sure they're production ready. Make sure that I you know there's you're happy using than,
1: them yourself. You know, eat your own dog food.
0: Absolutely, because I need them. Because I, I do so many projects that I you know we all get all of us get very frustrated very with having to repeat things. Like I've noticed that startups that work on you know let's say one project and they'll work on it for two years until they launch the site. Uh, you you know like full time job kind of you know and a lot of people work at places like that and and the deal is you don't like they're the like for instance they haven't even gotten to try haml uh, because they just they, they already have so much legacy code sitting there that they don't want to you know they have other developers so they can't really experiment and uh, generally they're basically running off pre rails 1.0 code cuz they've been working for about a year and You know, they were doing their emailers the wrong way, the old way, and they weren't, you know, like, there's all these things that were, you know, like, uh, I think every one of our current projects on Unspace is is, uh, 1.2 at least, um, if not generally on Edge. So, you know, it it puts us, as a contractor in Rails, we get this really weird, you know, it's such a new technology that there's not many people who get to just... Like I'm starting another project in like three weeks, so in the next three weeks I'm just there's another one I'm gonna get started. And I'll probably use the second version of Let It Rest, the one that we're gonna reveal in, um, at RailsConf.
1: So is this thing out yet? Then can I download it and use it? In my
0: no, 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 you can't. Because oh, we're currently still using the teasing us all. <laughs> uh, I haven't I had time. We're all these projects and all these, uh, and, and just keeping up with Hamel and the Hamel 1.5 and. You know, I'm I'm now uh, working on a, a book and
1: yeah. So tell us about uh, the book. So what is it about? Is it?
0: It's a beginning Rails book for actual true beginners. Most people listening to this will find it quite boring, very slow because it, it, you know the Agile book, the Agile Rails book, is uh it, it it assumes that you know a lot when you walk into it. Like you
1: yeah.
0: need yeah. to know what an object is in general. Like he gives a very cursory introduction, but in general, you know. You you're supposed to have some technical knowledge. It's written for people who have done coding before, and especially web coding before. Um, so we're kind of really trying to write a book for the actual beginners. You know, if your if your brother or sister says, you know, oh, I want to learn Rails, you, this is the <laughs> kind of book for them because it just I've seen this web sp- development
1: malarkey. I want to give it a try. Exactly. I, I mean, we, we don't
0: necessarily cover. We don't really cover HTML. We assume you at least know some HTML. But do you assume that
1: uh, people have a Mac?
0: <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Shortest installation instructions are for Ubuntu. Cause it's really, that's actually the third talk I'm giving, but a whole other <laughs> subject. is about installing Rails on Ubuntu and running Ubuntu servers.
1: Yeah, so actually, I'm. So it's I'm, a book it for, for beginners? Beginners.
0: And uh, it's really, you know, I, I've come on very, very late, like the support batter or something. Uh, but I've I've sort of been tangentially involved with it emotionally and spiritually for a while now, and uh, it's really shaping out. I think I'm very very honored to even get to work on this thing because it's really coming out fantastically. Like I th- I think, uh, who knows? Maybe it'll be a huge flop. But I I think this is the kind of book I would recommend to somebody else, and uh, I don't say that lightly because there's a lot of really crappy Rails books out there right now, um, and there's some really great ones too. That's not that hitting anybody else, but you know, you know I'm totally gonna. Is there defamation laws? You know, you know what's the worst single Rails book that has ever existed on this planet? Oh, if I, I want to send a copy of this to DHH because I think he would, he'd begin to cry and he would throw it and he would tear it in half and and run down <laughs> the street and like strip off his clothes, screaming. You know, uh, You have not
1: understood like me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the it's the W. Rocks Rails book. W. Rocks. i right, have Rocks. not heard of that one. Oh. <laughs> that's probably a good thing. Because, we, we, you know, we've been to, to learn about, you know, we've been doing a lot of research trying to find out what makes a really good beginner's book and what do the books out there right now cover and how can we make sure we cover the right things and what did they do right and what did they do wrong. Like, we're really trying to, you know, uh, we're way behind schedule, but uh, it should be coming out in May. Um, so, uh, no, we, we really wanted to concentrate on these ideas, so we bought this book. And I, I don't think the guy actually knows. I just want to make, yeah, yeah, Dr. Stephen Holzer. I would like to have a conversation with you, Mr. Stephen Holzer. Um, the, the book goes in a completely random order. Uh, it doesn't even cover... It's not written with objects nearly at all. Active record... I don't even think he covers... like It barely covers associations. The projects, uh, the HTML is all invalid. Uh, it's a beginner e- book. It's a beginner book, and he doesn't even seem to know how to code Ruby. Like, it's not even Ruby. Like... You know, I, I, gosh, I'm being harsh here, and then, you know, somebody's going to read our book and just be like, oh, look, these guys made a small mistake. No, this guy does not. He, he's apparently, the back cover says he's published, um, I think something like a uh, hundred books or something like that.
1: Ah, uh, prolific it, 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 writer.
0: Yeah, prolific, I think, is a nice term for it. Um, <laughs> just turns them out. And it's like, oh, uh, mean against Windows, but, uh. Yeah, you know, they're all Windows screenshots of using, like, actual Windows notepad. And, oh, he uses IE, which, I, I'm sorry. You know, that, there's no excuse for that. But use Opera. Or actually, use what you want, but don't write a book about it. <laughs> no, it's just, I can't even explain to you how bad it is. Please don't buy this book. And so, I, so
1: the, the book you're writing, well, you're helping me. <laughs> <with.
0: laughs> I'm done with my rant about it. Keep thing. ranting. No, so <laughs> you how, I can how'd... quote it if you want. No,
1: absolutely. So where, where, where was the most, most of the writing actually taking place? Did you do it at your desk?
0: Right now, i uh, Jeff's wife is a teacher, and she's at work, and I'm taking a break out of our writing today to, to do this interview. Uh, no, we are mostly, uh, well, one of our co- uh, Clovis is in Dubai, which makes collaborating with him kind of hard, but I uh, know <laughs> I'm here in Font Hill, Ontario, which is a, a huge town of literally hundreds and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, Jeff has a huge, sprawling house. Of course, because uh, it's uh, in the middle of nowhere, and they're cheap. Uh, unlike me in the city, where you know, pay per inch. Um, <laughs> no, he's a writing at home uh, at his house mostly every week. And
1: uh, so, how, yeah. how, do you have any advice for people who want to potentially write a book?
0: You don't know, do it.
1: Don't do it.
0: No, don't do it. Um, it really is hard. Especially if you want to do it well. I mean, I think I could have written a Holzner esque book, uh, pretty easily. Just kept just keep typing, don't make grammar mistakes, do a lot of screenshots, type in code like I think it to be honest, he wrote the book while I was learning Rails and Ruby at the same time. Uh it's pretty clear. And uh you know, I, I could have we could have done that. Like if if you wanna write a crappy book, go for it. You can brag about it, tell your friends, your mom will be really impressed and proud of you. Um you won't make any money, but it's all right unless you're at 100 then you might you know be doing all right. I don't know. I'd heard the term labor of love before. It's I mean uh you know coming onto this book for me it was actually a hard decision um, with all the stuff going on because uh but you know in the end it was really like you know how much value is it to be able to say author of uh, which is quite a flattering title except it's you know, what's that worth at what point in your life? And, and can you be proud of that work? You know, how many people can just come to be an author of a book that's just not very good? And, uh, you know, it's sort of... Uh, if, it, I think if you have a passion for writing, start writing it. You know, write the book before you get a publisher. That's probably what I'd say, too. Just start writing. If you can do it without a publisher, then it's about the same as doing it with one. Um, you, if you walked into a publisher today with any sort of Rails book and it was half-written... You would instantly be brought on board. But do the first half, write half of a book before you bring it there because you don't, it's more fun when you're doing it yourself. And you'll also realize how incredibly hard it is to explain yourself well. It's, it's just, it's, it's stressful, it's difficult. You worry about it. You, you know, just like when I always take showers and think about my coding, but sometimes now I take a shower and I think, oh, well, I can explain this better. Or maybe this chapter could be cleaned up a little. Or maybe this should be our example.
1: So constant a constant refactoring the process, then, really.
0: I mean, if you don't have a job or something and you want something to do, write a book. Go for it. But if you actually have to, you know, pay bills and keep working and you know run open source projects and travel speaking, <laughs> if you if you want to do all that together, I would not recommend it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, whatever. It's a personal decision everybody has to make. If you can't write, don't do it. Please, there's enough terrible books out there. We need to make sure we have good books out there. Um, I'm talking to you, Dr. Steve Holzner, PhD. <laughs>
1: Right, uh, well, uh, well uh, less of the uh, PhD hatred here.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, How... yeah. PhDs are great. I'm, I'm. A, I'm well, they're university. not at all, to be honest. drop out?
1: <laughs> they're a nightmare. I mean, I'm still writing my thesis up as well, and all the advice you've given about don't do it, thing, <laughs> absolutely applies. It's really very hard. Um, no,
0: yeah, that's actually it's very true. It's like getting a doctor. Yeah, it's it's nice to. You know, it's something that, that will never go away, and sure, that make, that makes it better, but um, yeah. so does Herpes. I mean, you know.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
0: but uh, was it worth it to get it? That's the real question. That's the question. Sometimes it is.
1: <laughs> so have you um, got anything else to say, anything to, to shout out whilst you're, you're, you're on your uh, platform?
0: Yeah, uh, what would I say? I have, I have a lot of things that I'm able to rant about, uh, so I don't even know what the last one would be, but uh, except for uh, Give Hamill a Try. Oh, yeah, there we go. That would be my thing. And uh, if you think you can do something better, then do it because I'd love to. I'd love to use it. Um, <laughs> give it a try. Uh, yes, it looks weird for the first couple of minutes you look at it, but then very quickly, if you know CSS, your brain will start to parse it. I promise. I could do like a. I could do like a a challenge or something. Like you know, if anybody uses it and really can say they actually hate it after they give it a real good try, you,
1: you know, give them I'll the money pay- back.
0: Well, lollipop. Yeah, the money back. <laughs> My open source code. Um, no, but yeah, I just I encourage pe- people tend to be afraid to actually try something new. It's easy to change your application layout. That's the good one because that'll actually make sure your whole page looks better. And
1: uh, and when's, yeah. uh, when when will let it rest be out for people to play around? I will probably to release it at RailsConf. I, mean, I think well,
0: that's you know we, we didn't release Hamill until we were actually at the conference in London. So you know I think I'll probably do the same thing again. It's kind of fun to. To give a world debut. The the syntax it's current there are there is some syntax you can see on the web about it right now, but uh it is not the official syntax and it won't be what's in the final release. We're kinda of cleaning it up and doing some crazy new cool Ruby things to make it more fun to write out your controllers. Cool. So stay tuned for
1: that. Okay, well nice speaking to you. Take care. Thanks, man. Okay, goodbye. Bye.